What a beautiful song. Thank you so much. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. He came the first time to be criticized, ostracized, cursed, and crucified. But he's coming again the second time to be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. By the way, Sarah Averett wrote the words and the music of that song. Sarah, what a beautiful song. Thank you so much. Hope they sing it again soon. All right, if you open your Bibles, please. I'll continue my message on what to look for in a pastor. I started that last week. This is the continuation of last week's message. I did not finish that. I said, Pastor, what do you mean what to look for in a pastor? I spoke to the church uh, about a couple months ago and said, I'll be retiring at the end of 2024. In fact, this month, the next year, will be my last month as pastor. And so the church has established a pulpit committee to try to find a replacement. Terry Templeton got to the church a few weeks ago and asked you to consider presenting names of candidates, men that you might think would be a good pastor of this church, and we encourage you to do that. Now, the choice of the next pastor is yours. The First Baptist Church, those are members, you would be the one choosing the next pastor of this church. And so the pulpit committees, they get together candidates and bring them to the church, let them preach and for you to listen to and uh, decide whether you want that individual to be the next pastor. So I like to talk about what to look for in the next pastor. And I want to talk about essential elements. These are elements that I've sought to build this ministry upon. And this is a continuation of last Sunday's. And the number one element, more than anything else, to look for in the pastor is the gospel message. The gospel message. That is not, should not be a preference, should be a conviction. It is not something you will give ground on. It is a deal breaker on, on what, who will be the next pastor, what he preaches as the gospel. I'd like to do a review from last week for those who are not here. In your bulletin is an insert. Last week we did not have an insert, but I, th we do this week, so you can fill in the blanks for those. The gospel message, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 last week. I'll just read it to you. You can follow along because we saw it together last week. First of all, the gospel message is something in which we should be firm, fixed, and established. As a church, over and over again, I've taught the gospel. I tell it every week, and hopefully you have now become very firm, fixed, and exactly what the gospel is and established in this wonderful good news of what Christ has done for us. 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, verse 1. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I have preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. The Corinthian believers heard the gospel, were saved by it, and now they were firm, fixed, and established in this wonderful message. And that's what I encourage you to be, firm, fixed, and established. Do not compromise this. Because what I'm going to do, the candidates we have come and preach for you to consider to be the next pastor, I'm going to ask them at the conclusion service to please give the gospel. Tell our people exactly what you think they have to do to go to heaven and give an invitation. And hope that you will bring your spiritual antennas with you and listen carefully to what he says to determine whether he'll be the next pastor or not. And so you should be firm, fixed, and establish exactly what you believe the gospel is. In verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, Paul said, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This verse tells us there are three elements, components to the gospel message. Number one, Christ died for our sins. 
Christ died for our sins. He gave his life on the cross to make a payment for our sins. Number two, Christ was buried. He was buried in a tomb for three days and three nights. And number three, Christ rose again. Christ rose again. The death, the burial, and resurrection, those three components make up the gospel message. And so when you hear a candidate to be the next pastor, give the gospel, listen, look for those. Look for, he talks about how Christ died for you and paid for your sin, was buried and rose again. And that's something you should be firm, fixed, and established in. Next, we should never move from that. We should never move. We saw last week the Apostle Paul, as a missionary, he established many churches. He led people to Christ. He found many churches in the area called Galatia. And he left there after he established a church and went to other places. And all of a sudden he heard the churches he established in Galatia begin to accept another gospel. And he said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of God, Christ unto another gospel. These people begin to accept another gospel, not the gospel Paul preached, but something different. Then he said in verse 7, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. There are people out there, men in pulpits, that are intentionally perverting the gospel. There are some that are unknowingly perverting the gospel. So you need to listen very carefully. The next pastor, candidates come to listen to the gospel and make sure they're doing one that's biblically correct and they are not, whether purposely or unknowingly, perverting the gospel of Christ. So it's something we should be firm, fixed, and established, something we should never move and let her see. We should never accept another message. We should never accept another message. Look with me in 2 Corinthians, please, chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11. A verse we looked at last week, I'd like to look at it again, page 1633, please. You say, Pastor, why are you preaching on this? There have been many people over the years sat right where you're sitting, heard the gospel many times in this pulpit, heard a very clear presentation, and were part of this ministry, and leave, go to another church, and go to a church with a false gospel. Go there to where the gospel is not correct. They go there because of the ministry. They got maybe a program for their teenager, a program for their young people, and they'll compromise the gospel for those ministries. My friend, never do that. Amen. Never compromise the gospel for any reason. Amen. And I encourage you to make a strong stand in that, something we should never move, uh, move from and also never accept another message. Look what it said here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. First of all, it said, we are not to tolerate a false gospel. We are not to tolerate a false gospel. Paul said, but I fear. Paul had a fear, a tremendous concern, lest by any means as the serpent, talking about Satan, beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind, your understanding should be corrupted from the what? The simplicity that is in Christ. My friend, the way to heaven is very simple, very clear and plain in the Bible. And the Satan would love nothing better for your understanding would begin to change concerning the gospel and would accept a false gospel and should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. But notice what he says in verse 4. For if he, now think about, take this verse and apply it to a candidate that comes as a pastor. For if he cometh, preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or receive another spirit, 
which we have not received, or another what? Gospel, which you have not accepted. It says here, you might well bear with him. The word bear with means to put up with or tolerate. Otherwise, because Satan is so successful in corrupting people's minds, Christians begin to tolerate a false message, begin to put up with something that's not biblically correct. I know a person now, when I mention their name, who was in our church for many years, who taught Sunday school and left here and went to a church that taught a false gospel. I could not understand and believe why they would do that. They just put up with a false gospel because of the programs they had there. My friend, that ought not be so. We should not tolerate a false gospel. Next, we are not to subject ourselves to one even for one hour. We're not to subject ourselves to a false gospel even for one hour. In Galatians 2.5, I believe we're on the screen, Paul said, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. How long is a normal church service? If the preacher's not too long, when, <laughs> one hour. Paul said, I will not tolerate a false gospel even for one hour, and neither should you. And so that's something we should not do. Now, number two, Roman number two. Let me give you two essential elements of the gospel. We know what the gospel is. The death, burial, and resurrection, something we should be stand firm on, we should never move from, we should not tolerate another gospel. But let me give you two essential elements. We began with this and left off from last week. The first one is the purity of the gospel. The purity of the gospel. A pure gospel is a message absent from any works of man. A pure gospel is a message absent from any works of man. We know that Satan also has a gospel message. His message is a message of good works. And Satan will preach good works for salvation, have his ministers do the same, because he knows if you believe you have to do something of yourself, some work or merit of your own to get to heaven, he knows you won't make it. When you add works to the gospel of grace, it cannot save and so a pure gospel is a message that's absent of any work. Again, we looked at it last week. I'd like to read a quick review. Romans 4, verse 5 says, But to him that worketh what? Not. not. What does it mean to work not? <laughs> him doesn't work at all, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Verse 6, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. So the Bible says over and over again, salvation is not by works. We saw why it's so important to emphasize that, because Romans eleven six says, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more of grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Now, that's a tongue twister. What it's saying here is that by definition, grace is the opposite of works. It cannot be both. You cannot be looking to the grace of God to save you and your works at the same time. If you look to grace, it can't be of works. If you look to works, it's no more of grace. And I tell people all the time, if you want to have no grace or mercy before God, then look to your works to save you. Because if it be of works, it is no more of grace. My friend, that's dangerous. So Satan would want to intermingle works into the gospel of grace because he knows that you will have no grace if you do that. Next, a false gospel is created when works are mixed with faith for salvation. 
A false gospel is created when works are mixed with faith for salvation. A man by the name of James D. Kennedy, he was the pastor of the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Coral Ridge, Florida for many years. He's in heaven now. He wrote a book called Evangelism Explosion, a good book on soul winning. In that book, he said there's one of three things a religious person trusts in to get him to heaven. And the first, number one, was works. Many religious people are trusting the works to get to heaven. They don't believe Christ is necessary. They can be good enough. They can make it on their own. So many people are looking to the behavior of the works as a means to get to heaven. Number two, Jesus Christ. There are many people that believe that Jesus Christ is not only necessary, but he's sufficient, and they're trusting in Christ alone to save them. My friend, that's us. We're trusting Christ alone to save us. But number three is the most subtle and the most uh, deceiving. Christ plus works. Christ plus works. They say Christ is necessary, but my friend, he's not enough. And this is not anything new. This taught today, I'm going to show you how in a few moments. But it's taught also back in Paul's day. Paul dealt with this message. And look with me, and if you'll please, in Acts chapter 15, please. Acts 15. Page 1553, 1,553. The message of Christ plus works is nothing new. Paul had to deal with it in his days. Acts chapter 15, we see Paul dealing with this false gospel. Again, very deceitful. And the sad today, many churches teach this, many pastors teach this. And long as they think Christ is necessary, they said, that's all right. But they say he's necessary, but my friend, he's not enough. Acts 15, look in verse 1, please. Acts 15, verse 1. It says, certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren, teaching those who are saved, and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be what? Wow. So these men came behind the Apostle Paul to undermine his work. And what they said is this. What Paul said was true. Faith is required for salvation, but Paul, what said, was not enough. We've come to complete the message Paul began. So salvation is by faith in Christ plus circumcision, plus keeping the law of Moses. So they added to the gospel of grace, added works, circumcision. Now, how did Paul respond to this? Now, listen carefully. The same way you ought to respond if you hear the same thing. <laughs> Look how he responded in verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas said, had no small dissension and disputation with them. What does that mean, no small dissension? It was a big one. He got upset. <laughs> he said, what you're preaching is false. My friend, Christ is not only necessary, Christ is enough. And when you add anything to Christ for salvation, it cannot save. So this was not a small issue. And listen to me carefully. If someone comes to church and preaches something like that, you ought to get upset. My friend, this is a deal breaker. You ought not say, well, that's, he's, a, he's a good speaker. He looks nice. He's got a good haircut, nice suit. He's got a good family. He drives a nice car. Boy, he's just a good speaker. My friend, it's a deal breaker when he preaches about the gospel. I ought to be the same to you, but read on. And it says in verse 2, 
When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension or disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. This is the first church council. If you study church history, there are many church councils that deal with things of, about doctrine. The very first one happened in Jerusalem. When this issue of Christ plus something was brought up, they said, we need to send Paul and Barnabas to the church in Jerusalem where the apostle where Peter is and let them decide about this message. And so they sent them the first church council. Look in verse 3. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the what? Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they, the Gentiles and Paul and Barnabas, they were received of the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. Verse 5. And there arose a certain of the sect of Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. So again, some other people come in and say, Christ is not enough. He's not sufficient to save as Christ plus circumcision, the law of Moses. In verse 6, and the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. Now look for 7. When they... And when there had much disputing, there was a big confusion about this, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made a choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God which knoweth the hearts bear them the Gentiles witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us. Verse 9. And put no difference between us, between the Gentile between the Jew and the Gentile, purifying their hearts by what? By faith. And he says, Now therefore, why tempt ye the God, and put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor were we able to bear? I love verse 11. But we believe that through grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. What they say? My friend, Christ plus something is not the true gospel. We believe that you're saved by the crucified Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. By faith in what Christ did for us. That was the conclusion. So the message of Christ plus works was a false message. They come to the conclusion of that. So this is a nothing new, but next thing about it, this message cannot save. The message of Christ plus something cannot save. Go with me now to Galatians, please. Now I'm going somewhere with all this, because I hope you understand when someone adds to what Christ has done, it is a false gospel, a perverted message. It cannot save. That's the reason Paul got so upset over it. A message cannot save. Galatians chapter 5, page 1642, if you're using a church Bible. 1642, verse chapter 5, verse 1. By the way, look up here. Test your Bible knowledge. What book did Paul write to combat this teaching of Christ plus something for salvation? The book of Galatians. The whole book was written to fight that Paul's doctrine. And he made it clear that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. In Galatians chapter 5, he deals with it here. Verse 1, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ has made us free, 
and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. About the law of Moses. Verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be what? Stop there. Look up here. What he's saying is this. If you be circumcised for the idea that's going to get you to heaven as a means to save you, as required to have eternal life, he goes on to say, look at it, please. Christ shall profit you what? Zero. Wow. My friend, when you add to what Christ has done on the cross, something that is means to get you to heaven, it profits you nothing. What Christ did on the cross will profit you nothing. Here's what he's saying. Here's some math. Christ plus something equals nothing. Christ plus nothing equals salvation. Write it down. Christ plus something equals nothing. Christ plus nothing equals salvation. Well, to have the attitude, refusing to trust anything else, I trust Christ alone to save me. That's what brings salvation. But Satan has his ministers come in and preach something contrary. They say Christ is necessary. You have to believe in Christ, but add to that. Now, what do people add today? You don't hear circumcision much today for salvation. They add baptism. You've got to believe in Christ plus be baptized. The, 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 communion. You've got to trust Christ plus take communion. The, the uh, church membership, tithing, the sacraments of the church. They add those things as a means to get to heaven. My friend, Christ plus something equals what? Nothing. So this message cannot save, but also this message removes, a message of Christ plus something removes the offense of the gospel. The message of Christ plus works removes the offense of the gospel. Look in Galatians 5.11. Galatians 5.11. <clears throat> he said, I, brethren, if, if I yet preach circumcision... Why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Here's what these men did, these false teachers. They said what Paul said was not enough. We've come to add to it. And by the way, Paul agrees with us. My friend, Paul did not agree with that. And he's saying, if I agree with that, if I preach circumcision, why do I suffer so much persecution? He suffered persecution by the Jews because he said Christ was sufficient to save, not the law. And he suffered persecution. Paul said, if I were preaching circumcision, the offense of the cross would have ceased to exist in my ministry. People find the gospel message, listen carefully, which proclaims man's total inability to contribute anything to a salvation offensive. The gospel says, my friend, you cannot save yourself. There's nothing good about you that God accepts for his, in his presence. You we are hopelessly lost. We're bankrupt sinners. Our righteousness in God's eyes are filthy rags. You cannot save yourself. My friend, that's offensive to religious people. Religious people think, well, listen, I may sin, but I'm not that bad. I do things that are good. In fact, he said in 1 Corinthians 1.23, For we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness. This message of Christ alone saves to many is foolishness. To others, they stumble at it. They say, I've got to do something. I've got to have some part. Let me ask you a question. Look up here. And this is just, just a question. And when you die and you go to heaven, somebody comes to you and said, what did you do to get here? 
Now, nobody's going to ask that. But if you die and go to heaven, you walk in and somebody meets you at the gate, hey, what did you do to get here? What would you say? You know what I would say? I did nothing. Jesus did it all. <laughs> I'm here because of him. And so many people add something to that. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. And so uh, let me give you some contemporary messages that mix works with faith for salvation. I recovered these last week. I'll cover them quickly again. But contemporary messages that mix works with faith for salvation. The first one, common today, you want to be saved, you need to give your life to Christ. Remember that phrase? Give your life. My friend, where's the gospel? The gospel is that Christ gave his life that I might be saved. I'm not saved because I give myself to him. I'm saved because he gave himself for me. Just the opposite of what the Bible says. John 1, 12, what does it say? But to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe in his name, not give. So you don't have to give. Another false gospel includes works with faith. It's commit your life. You have to commit your life to Christ. Another one was surrender your life. You need to surrender your life to Christ. Another one, very subtle, is turn from your sin. Turn from your sin. And let's go back to that guy who met you at the gate in heaven. He's, he's met you there and you're going to heaven. He said, what got you here today? What did you do to get here? Would you say I committed my life? I turned from all my sin. I gave myself to Christ. No. What did I do? I didn't do anything. Christ did it all. And I received him as my Savior. Now, some people think, well, even faith is a work. My friend, faith is not a work. Our response put our faith. M.R. DeHaan said this. Faith is not doing. It's resting upon that which is done. I like that, don't you? Faith is not doing something. It's not a work. It's resting upon the finished work of Christ. And so salvation comes not by anything we do, rather what Christ has done for us. And our faith in Christ alone is what brings salvation. <clears throat> now you say, Pastor, are you against people doing good works? I've been asked that many times. Pastor, are you against people doing good works? I answer is yes and no. Yes, if it's for a person to be saved. But no, for a person who's already saved. Did you get that? I'm against works for salvation. But once you're saved, my friend, I'm all for works for one who is saved. Good works should follow salvation, but are not required to obtain salvation. Good works should follow salvation, but are not required to obtain salvation. Because Satan's counterfeit for the gospel of grace is the gospel of works. I emphasize not of works over and over again. Because so many people feel, let me ask you a question. I'm full of questions this morning, don't I? Let's be honest here. How many would say honestly that you remember before you were saved that you thought you had to do good works, you had to be good and live a certain life to go to heaven? Would you raise your hand, please? Look around you. That's Satan's counterfeit. And so that's a false gospel. But when you heard the truth, what did you do? You repent, you changed your mind from your way of salvation, and you trusted Christ the Savior. That's what brought salvation to you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. How many know that verse? Maybe you can quote it with me. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But verse 10. Paul said, For we as believers, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? 
good works. My friend, good works don't save you, but you're saved unto good works. People get the cart before the horse. Another verse, Titus 25, many of you know the verse, not by works of righteousness, but according to mercy he saved us. But verse 8, he said, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. So for salvation, I'm against works for salvation. But if you're saved, I'm all for works. My friend, you're saved unto good works. And the Bible said you ought to be careful to maintain them in your life. They should follow salvation. Not required for, but should follow that. So listen carefully. When giving the gospel, it is important to make a clear distinction between the message of salvation and the message for Christian service. May I say that again? When you give the gospel, it's important for you to make a clear distinction between the message of salvation and the message of Christian service. Here's what many evangelists do. They come to a church, they have a twofold goal. They want to get the lost saved and the living and the saved serving. And many times they mingle the two together. And you hear the message, you think, for me to be saved, I need to trust in Christ, plus I need to live the Christian life. And they mingle the two together, and people become very confused. My friends, God's not the author of confusion. Satan is. So if I'm speaking to a room of unsaved people, listen carefully, please. I'm not going to talk to them about the responsibility of the Christian life. I'm not going to talk about how they all read the Bible. I'm not going to talk about how they go to church. I'm not going to talk about how they ought to pray. That's the responsibility of the Christian life. I'm not going to tell them what they ought to do for God. I'm going to tell them what Christ has done for them. That Jesus Christ died for them, paid for the sin, and rose again. They trust them and go to heaven. But now, if they're saved, the message is different. Now I'm going to tell you what you ought to do for God. How you ought to go to church. How you ought to pray and read your Bible. And now that you're saved, you ought to give your life to Christ. You ought to commit your life to Christ as a Christian. You ought to turn from your sin as a believer. These are responsibilities of the Christian life, not requirement to enter that life. So we're talking about the first essential of the gospel, the purity. Move any works. Let me give the second essential. This is where we left off last week. The clarity. The clarity of the gospel. Turn with me to the verse we looked at at the beginning. The pastor uh, Nichols read with you. First Corinthians chapter 14, please. First Corinthians 14. Page 16, 17. The clarity. Many preachers have a pure gospel, but it is muddy gospel. It is unclear, and people hear it and get confused and don't understand what he's saying. Not only a pure gospel, but a clear gospel. First of all, when we give the gospel, we should use words that are easy to understand. Look what it says here in 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 7. And even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, Except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harp? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? What does that mean? Can you imagine the uh, army is ready to go to war and the trumpet plays reveille? Time to go to bed. They give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Then he applies that now to us. Verse 9. So likewise, except you utter by the tongue words what? Easy to be understood, 
How shall it be known what is spoken for you shall speak into the air? Many pastors have a very pure gospel, but it's muddy. You don't understand it. A man who comes here may have a, several degrees behind his name. He knows his Bible inside and out. He knows big Bible words. He can press you with his Bible knowledge. And you leave the service saying, no, that was a great message. I didn't understand a word he said. You ever heard that before? I didn't understand a word he said. It went right over my head. Except you speak words that are easy to understand. said, you, it goes on to say, you should not want to spoken. She was speaking in a blowing wind. And many pastors, when it comes to the gospel, just blow wind. They don't they make it clear. So as a pastor needs to make it clear, make it simple, make it easy to be understood. And next, we should use clear and plain speech. When you give the gospel, use words that are easy to understand, but also clear and plain speech. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 is on the screen. Seeing then that we have such hope. How many grateful for the hope you have in Christ? Amen. I'm so grateful. Seeing, and notice that's called a great hope. Seeing that we have such great hope, we don't. We use, have such hope, we use great plainness of what? You know what the word plainness means? It means without vagueness or haziness. Over the last week, I was coming to church early in the morning. It was daylight, but it was foggy. It had to go slow because you couldn't hardly see much in front of you. Now, the, the, the was, daylight was there, but it just it was hazy. It was vague. And many people that way when it comes to the gospel. Again, someone said this. If there is a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pew. If the pastor's not clear, my friend, it's doubly unclear to you. And so the pastor should not only make it pure, but make it clear and plain. One of the greatest compliments I ever got as a preacher, it was considered a cut from the person who gave it to me. They said, Pastor, I'm getting tired of you talking to me like a child. You make it so simple and plain, even a child can understand it. Amen. And I thought to myself, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. I did that on purpose. <laughs> I did that on purpose. Because the Bible says to come to Christ, you must come as a child. And if I make it so simple that a child can understand, even so, or the adults. I could possibly impress you with my Bible knowledge. I could use such big words, you go, wow, he knows the Bible, but you don't understand what I said. What good is it? And so when they give the gospel, when a man gets in the pulpit and gives the gospel, make sure he gives it pure and make sure he gives it plain. Let me give you some common words or phrases that make the gospel unclear. These are not false, but it's unclear. They're not wrong. They're just vague and misty in their words. The first one is ask God to save you. Ask God to save you. Is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. But it's not clear. By the way, did you know both thieves on the cross asked God to save them? But he only saved one. One thief said, if thou be the son of God, save us and yourself. God didn't save him. But the other one said, Lord, remember me that cometh my kingdom. So you can ask God to save me. Lord, save me. Why? Because I go to church. Lord, save me because I keep the commandments. God won't save that person. So it's not clear. Ask God to save you. So it's not wrong. It's not clear. Let me give you another one. Oh, this is, I call this a Baptist term. Ask Jesus to come into your heart. Have you heard that before? Ask Jesus to come into your heart. I used to use that phrase before someone taught me the clarity of the gospel. You know why I use it? 
That's what I always heard. I was raised in the church, the pastor there every Sunday. Ask you to come in your heart. So when I gave the gospel, I used the phrase too. And somebody did this. And by the way, if you use this phrase, let me share with you what that man shared with me. He said, show me that in the Bible. Now, I heard it every week. I said, surely it's there. I said, I'll find it. I look for it. I look for it. It's not there. It's a man-made term given to a biblical idea. And they get it from Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. But the verse is not salvation. He's writing to the church of Laodicea. It's talking about a fellowship. Not salvation at all. So if all you ever use is the Bible and you give the gospel, you would not use that phrase. It's not there. So I encourage you. By the way, does not God bless his word far more than your paraphrase of it? So don't use it. It's, it's just unclear. Think about this. If a man you may work with has no idea anything about Christ, the Bible, anything about salvation, and you're talking about going to heaven, and say, my friend, you need to ask Jesus to come into your heart. What? My heart's a muscle that pumps blood. What do you mean, ask him to come into my heart? Now, there was a preacher I know that used that phrase all the time. I said, what do you mean by that? You need to receive Christ as Savior. Why don't you say that? That's what the Bible says. Why use some term that confused people? It's muddy. The next one. Another term that's unclear. Confess your sin. Confess your sin. They get this from 1 John 1, 9, for we confess our sin, he's faithful and just, forgive our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that's a verse to Christians about fellowship, not salvation. But if you tell the unbeliever to confess his sin, he has every right to say how many? Now, what would you say? Half and keep the rest? How many are you going to confess? Now, what if he's 16 years old, 70 years old? He has a lot of sin to think and remember. What if he gets one? So the first step to coming to Christ is you have to admit that you're a sinner for all of sin. That's the first one. But the confession of sin is the duty and responsibility of one who is saved, not to be saved. So this one is, again, it's just so unclear. What do you mean, confess your sin? And lastly, I could go on and on, but time will not... Another unclear phrase, repent and believe. Repent and believe. This is biblical. This is true, but it is unclear. Because I, let me, can I give you some, uh, something I do? When I give the gospel, I purposely do not use the word repent. Though it's biblical and right to use. Because of the false definition of the word repent. People today say the word repent means turn from sin. And so that's not what it means. It means a change of mind. You say, Pastor, you've got to use the word repent for people to get saved. No, you don't. If you want someone to read a book of the Bible to learn how to get saved, what book would you tell them to read? The Gospel of John. The Gospel of John has the word repentance is nowhere found in the Gospel of John. Though the idea is, it's not found there. So you don't have to use the word repent to give the Gospel. But if you use the word, which is nothing wrong with it, make sure you clarify it. Because the false idea is associated with it. If a man gets a pulpit, a canon, so you've got to repent and believe, that's fine. But tell me what repent means. Repent is a change of mind from my way of salvation to God's way, and I want to trust Christ to save me. Many of you a while ago said you once believed you had good works for salvation. My friend, you had to repent. Change your mind from your way to God's way, and you trusted Christ. So these are not wrong. They're hazy, they're vague, they're not clear. 
Now, let me give you some pastor, and you tell me what not to say. What should I say? I'm glad you asked. We'll conclude with this. Let me give you biblical words to use when giving the gospel. And these are words you should look for in a candidate, the next pastor. Words that communicate purity and clarity. Number one, the letter A, believe. Believe. In the Gospel of John, over 98 times, the sole condition for salvation is to believe. Let me give you some you know so well. John 3, 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 18, I love this verse. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Acts 16, how many know that? Verse 30. This, and look up here, please. This is a very important verse. Here's a man, he was a jailer, Philippian jailer. He was, his responsibility is to guard the jail and let no prisoner escape. There was an earthquake, the prison doors were open, and he assumed, he was sleeping, by the way, he assumed that all the prisoners escaped. He pulled out his sword and going to kill himself because he realized it's going to cost his life. And he's fixing to fall on his sword. And Paul said, Sir, do thyself no harm. We're all here. And he said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? What did Paul say? You need to give your life to Christ. You need to turn from your sin. You need to commit yourself and surrender. No. He said what? Believe on Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be what? Saved. Paul had it right. So the first word, believe, letter B, receive. Receive. Another good word to use or look for. John 1, 12, but to as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Receiving is synonymous with believing. Another verse, Colossians 2, 6, as you have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. The third word, trust. Have you heard that before? Trust. Ephesians 1.12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Trust. Believe, receive, trust. Turn to me one more verse and we'll close this morning. Go with me now to John chapter 6, please. The Gospel of John, chapter, this is not in your notes, it's not on the screen. John, chapter 6, page 1494, please. John, chapter 6. Thank you for listening. I want to help you to, when you choose the next pastor, someone to take my place, that one criteria ought to be in your list that must be a must as a deal breaker is what he preaches for the Gospel. That should be a deal breaker. You should not compromise something you stand firmly on and will not move away from. Here we have in this verse here, John chapter 6, verse 28, we have people that wonder what kind of works they have to do to go to heaven. And they ask Christ this question. What kind of works do I have to do to go to heaven? He wanted to do what's right and work his way to heaven. John 6, verse 28, please. John 6, 28. Then said they unto him, said to Christ, What shall we do that we might work the works of who? What a good question. What works do I have to do? What does God require of me? What works require that I can go to heaven? 
I love the answer that Christ gave. Look what he said in verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto him, This is the work of God, that you might believe on him whom he have sent. Close your Bibles, please. Here's what this means. People come to Christ and say, Lord, what works is required of me? What works does God require of me that I might be saved? Here's Jesus' answer. He said, this is the work of God. In other words, he's saying, God did the work. Your part's to believe. This is the work of God that you might believe in him who have sent. God did the work. Your responsibility is to believe Christ the Savior. So if you're here today and you're saved and you're a member of this church, the pulpit committee hopefully will be soon presenting the candidates. Take my place. And... It's your responsibility to choose the man. And I hope, my desire is that the number one criteria, more than anything else, is what he preaches for salvation. That's a deal breaker. He may be wonderful in any other area, but if he's not pure and not clear, he's not the man. That should be your choice. And so I encourage that. Now, next we're going to talk about another element you need to choose. It's not, it's not the same thing, so come back next week. I'm going to do another element you need to choose help you to find another pastor. But my question to close today, maybe you're here today in this service or watching by live stream, and you've always thought that you had to do something of yourself to get to heaven. You thought there was something required of you personally to have eternal life. And so you've been thinking that it's my behavior, it's my conduct, it's how I live that determines where I go when I die. And God may be accept me one day because I've done good things for him. My friend, that's a lie. That's a message you cannot save. And maybe you're one here that you said, I believed in Christ, but I thought he was necessary, but I have never realized he's enough. And so you've believed in Christ, plus you're looking at something else. My friend, it's not Christ plus something. It's Christ alone. So whether it's trusting Christ for the first time, or maybe here today, and you need to trust Christ alone. My friend, he's sufficient. Your job is simply to trust him. I love the song. I won't sing for him to give the lyrics. My hope is built upon nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but what? Holy, lean on Jesus' name. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, again, I'm trying to share with you what to look for another pastor. Hope this makes sense to you and is clear to you. Because one day there'll be a vote brought for this church of a man that's been presented to you to be the next pastor. And I hope that you would make this a criteria, a deal breaker when it comes to the man that you choose to be the pastor. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ alone to save you, maybe you always believed that Christ was necessary, but you never understood he's enough. Why not trust him alone today, solely in him alone, and realize that if he's not sufficient, you're not going to make it, because he is sufficient. He is enough, and you need to trust Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone is what brings salvation. Say, Pastor, that really cleared up things in my mind. Now I understand, and I want to trust Christ alone to save me. If that's your desire, why not tell God that? Why not talk to him in the quietness of your mind and by a simple prayer, put your trust, your dependence in Christ alone to be your Savior.
You say, Pastor, I, I want to do that, but I don't know what to say. Say this with me as we close. Say, just say, dear God of heaven, I understand that I'm a sinner, that I've done things wrong. And I understand there is a penalty for my sin that's death and hell. But I believe that when Christ died, he paid that penalty for me. He died in my place to pay my sin debt. And God, I always thought Christ was necessary, but I never quite understood he's enough. But today I do. I want to trust Christ alone. I want to make him see that he's sufficient to save me. And I'm going to depend upon him and nothing else as my only home means to get to heaven. I'm trusting Christ alone as my Savior. If heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you did that today, if that cleared up things in your mind and you made the decision to trust Christ alone to be your Savior, with heads bowed and eyes are closed, so I can just simply pray for you. Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? No one at all? Pastor, raise my hand. I understood that. I trusted Christ alone to be my Savior. Would you pray for me? You want it all this morning? Here's my hand, Pastor. That made sense. It clarified things in my mind. And I'm trusting Christ alone to save me. You want it all? Father, since someone raised their hand, I hope that's been already made clear to them. And they have already made that decision to depend on Christ and Him alone to save them in heaven's or home. Father, I pray now this message would be cemented in the hearts of every member of this church. And they'll make that a criteria of the next pastor of this church and choose wisely based upon what they preach for salvation. In Christ's name we pray, amen.